chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. I couldn't earn it, I don't deserve it, still you give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, sing no shadow again. There's no shadow, you won't light up mountain, you won't climb up coming after me. There's no wall, you won't kick down, lie, you won't tear down coming after me. There's no shadow, you won't light up mountain, you won't climb up coming after me. kick down, lie, you won't tear down, coming after me, oh, overwhelming, never-ending, precious love of God. That is a wonderful thing, to have the love of God like that, running after you. Amen. You know it's warm outside, right? So I know you're not all frozen. It's going to be in the house of the Lord tonight. Amen. It's going to be here. Thank you, Brother Seth. I really enjoyed that song service. He did a wonderful job, didn't he? Amen. And that's the first time I heard him song lead, but second time for most of everyone. But God bless you, buddy. Thank you, musicians. That's all the singing we'll do for, for now. It's a big room with just a few people in it. I know there's some that couldn't make it. It was kind of a fun day to drive out there, wasn't it? It's enjoyable. Come on now. Let's not get all spiritual and say, no, no, Brother Andrew, I don't like it. it no, I like the slippery slide and get a little... It's kind of fun a little bit sometimes, and you enjoy it. Someone got some thumbs up. Thank you. Someone being honest. <laughs> some of us enjoy it. Some of us maybe are a little bit terrified of it, but I appreciate you all coming. And those of you that are, are streaming in tonight, uh, maybe because um, it's young people's or because uh, you didn't want to come out on the roads, I understand, but God bless you. It's a pleasure to have you. Amen. Amen. I want to take a subject tonight and uh, approach it. And uh, before I do, I will ask, how many, does anyone not have a copy of this? Johnny, you don't have a copy? That's your fault. Justice, you don't have one. Okay, that's my fault. You don't have one. Anyone else not have one? Mr. Kezia doesn't have one. You don't have one. You don't have one. You don't have one. You have one? No? So I'll give you one. All right. Maybe I didn't. Brother John, how you doing? Good. Brother Tito, 
I realize he's right by the back door. You're way over here. We're just at home tonight. You all right? All right, I'm okay. On the, on the, the hutch in the minister's office, there's a bunch of copies of these. You want to grab them, please? And could you bring them in here? Thank you. Let's take our Bibles together. Turn to the book of 1 Timothy chapter 2. Amen. I'm not going to be... I'm going to try to not be long tonight, but I probably won't be a great big evangelistic type of service for you. I hope that's okay. Thank you. You can bring them on up here. I got... Um, who doesn't have one again? Because you can raise your hand. I, I don't know if I have enough copies here. Brother Justice needs one. And then... Uh, a couple of sisters here need one. Lindley got four copies. Okay. We'll give one here. One more. Sorry, I'm short. I'm going to have to print out some more, okay? All right. And Sister Kezia? Or, no, over here. Because I know there's one in your household at least. So, thank you. All right. I did ask you all to read that by tonight. So if you're wondering if we're going to go through it quote by quote, the answer is no. We're not even really going to open it as much as there's some principles that are in here that we're going to go into. But as far as reading it and studying out, I think all of you are plenty capable of doing that on your own. And uh, it would be boring, I think, for you to read it all at home and then just come here and read it again. So let's go through some of the principles. All right, 1 Timothy chapter 2. And verse 8. This is Brother Ed read this a long time ago. First Young Peoples of the Year, I believe. And uh, this is just where I feel to start. It says, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Amen. Brother Jeremy, can you read the next verse? Verse 9. Sobriety, yeah. Thank you. Sister Joanna, could you read the next verse, please? Thank you. Brother Sam, the next verse. Sister Ruth, the next verse. Kezia, the next verse. Brother Solomon, you read the next verse. Brother Ethan, the last one. Amen. Let's bow our heads together. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, we love you so much, Lord, and we're so thankful, Father, for your word. It is eternal, Lord, and heavens and earth could pass away, and what I would say tonight could fail. 
But Lord Jesus, your word will never pass away and it'll never fail. So Father, we're so thankful, Lord, tonight to be able to gather together despite a snowstorm outside and slippery roads, but we're thankful to come and just to be able to bring our little licks of fire as young people to worship your name, Lord, and to lift it on high, Lord. For Father, you're worthy, Lord, that men everywhere would raise their hands, praying always, Lord, and surrenderance to you, Lord. And Father, we just want to give our hearts and give ourselves I pray you'd help me as well as a minister just to get aside, Lord, and allow you to come and speak. These are not my young people. These are your young people, Lord Jesus. Father, I thank you, Lord, for each one of them, their lives, their testimonies. I pray you'd bless them now this evening. We ask it in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. May the Lord have a blessing to the word. You may have your seats. I've always wanted to try that, you know, and see what y'all do. Because <laughs> I caught myself on Sunday. The brother put a small gap in there. I think it was Brother Max. He didn't mean to. I think he just took a breath in between. And I was already sitting down. And I went, he didn't ask me to sit down. So, hey, amen. That's good. You were listening, and it's not a tradition. Hey, amen. I want to speak largely tonight on a, on a subject of headship, on the, the, the principles of headship, and, and I don't want to speak just on, just come out and what headship is, and we've all been taught on headship before, and we've all, um, we all have heads, whether it be our fathers, <laughs> we all have literal heads, yes, thank you, I caught the chuckle, <laughs> we also have heads of our homes, we also have uh, to every one individual, our head is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is over us. But I want to speak on, on accepted headship or acceptable headship and, uh, or received headship would be another way to say it. Because being, being the head of a home or being the head of a church or being the head of, of something is one thing. Being the head of a, of a company is even one thing. But in order to be accepted or received as the head, is another thing altogether. It's one thing to be standing at the top of a company, for example, and, and have authority, but if no one respects you, you're going to have an awfully hard time getting anything done. Amen. And, and, and it's, we live in an age today where headship has been broken down by the world order, by the world system that, that we're living in today. Headship has altogether lost its meaning, lost its value, lost its respect. Um, and, and, and lost, you know, that now it's even in, the, in most homes in the world, the man is not the head of the home, and I'll be honest with you, neither is the woman. And I, and I don't blame the women for breaking down the headship of, of men, but rather, I would rather put the blame on the men um, who allowed it to go in that way, being weak or out of place in their headship or not willing to take up the duty, because we do live in an age today where I'll say it this way so it relates, men would rather play call of duty than answer the call of duty. And they would rather play the game than actually do it in real life. And I'm not talking about going to war, I'm talking about performing their duties that God called them to do in the simplicity of their homes. And I would say even, even back in the 1900s when women were granted the right to vote, it was an official declaration or a proclamation that headship in America was out of place. 
because it became to a place where the opinion of a woman began to matter independently of her headship. Now, I know some of you maybe heard me say that a woman's opinion doesn't matter, but that's not what I said. What I said was that it, it ought not to matter outside or independent of her headship. She's meant to be one with her head. And her opinion, her opinion of any woman, whether you be a daughter or whether you one day would be a wife, we have a wife here, God bless you, your opinion matters in that relationship of the headship. And I would say it this way, and any woman should have a place in their home, whether as a daughter or a wife, that their opinions are and desires are heard and respected because that's a real headship. A real headship is someone that cares about their subjects, cares about those that they're, they're over, those that they're taking care of, and those that they're with. It's, it's not a controlling headship, and that is, unfortunately, in, in, the, in the woke movement today, they want to try and make any kind of a, a man who's a man toxic, and make headship a toxic mas- masculinity, which is a false uh, a definition of what headship really is. Amen. I would, I would even say it this way. We want to uh, uh, take into, cons- and, 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 and a, a woman, sorry, I'm, I'm just getting started, and I'm, a lot of thoughts going through my head, and I want to just bring it out right. So, are you with me? A woman's opinions matter. They matter in the decision-making process. I'm a married man. I have a wife. I don't just go out and make decisions. I don't come home one day and say, you know what, honey? I'm going to paint the walls blue because I like blue. She would be very, hold on a second here. (laughs) What do you think is going on? How can you possibly do this to me? You can't just come in and do this. We need to talk about this because it matters what she thinks. I'm not the one living in the home constantly. I go to work. I come home. I go to church. I come home. I go to prayer meeting. I come home. I'm over here. I'm over there. Somebody told me the other day, when are you ever home? When I'm home, I'm home. But I'm not home near as much as she is. And it's not, that's not my touch as a man. There's a place for a woman to be. And her opinion in these things are very important. And they're not just talking about the wall colors. If we're talking about the way I raise my children, her opinion is important. I need it. And I'll be honest with you, a lot of you probably would not have liked to know me very much before I knew my wife. I was quite arrogant. I was not very much of a, a likable individual. Maybe that's why God put me way up in Grand Prairie to grow up by myself, because I needed more molding than some of you needed. And that's okay, but I now have a wife who I need that femininity in my life in order to balance out the masculinity. It matters in a relationship. It matters in a home. It matters in a church. But it, but it's, it does not, and I'm going to be honest with you, the, the, the opinion of a woman is, is meant to be there to influence, to help her headship in the right direction, not to be independent of a man, which is a Laodicean idea, the age of rights, women's rights, and those kinds of things. Brother Branham would even say in a quote, and he'd start out talking about clothes in the message life, and he'd say, where they, they he'd talk about how women dress in a certain way and how they would say the excuse, say, oh, Brother Branham, that's the only kind of clothes they make. They don't got no sewing machines. And don't worry, sisters, I'm actually going to be speaking tonight. I'm speaking mostly to the men. So there's a little bit in here for you, but mostly I'm speaking to the men. So brothers, you better buckle up. 
Because this isn't really about the women. This is about the men. Because I'm telling you that a woman's opinion matters in a relationship. So what's important to you, brothers, is you're moving into a role of headship. You say, well, I'm not married. This doesn't apply to me. It will. Sooner or later. So what I'm trying to prepare you for is to make conscious decisions that when you move into a role of headship, you have someone else's uh, um, well-being someone else's opinion, someone else's mind, someone else's complexes, someone else's hurts, now is all of a sudden, it's on you. And now you've got to be conscious of all this. It's no longer just, well, if I want to go skiing, I'm going skiing. If I want to go skating, I'm going skating. If I want to go out with the guys, I'm going out with the guys now. It, that's not the way it is anymore. Now all of a sudden, you've got to consider, I've got a wife to consider. And one day, I've got children to consider. I've got, I've got more responsibility to consider. So as you move into these things, and this is why we have courtship and why we have engagement and why we have these things in order to uh, progress from where you're at today into that kind of a role. And, and I, and I want to speak larger than that even on, on courtship or on, on headship, but Brother Branham would take this talk about it and say, Brother Branham, that's the only kind of clothes they make. He says this, but they still got sewing machines. There's no excuses. You know that's right. He says, does that act like a daughter of the king? So, well, you say, the rest of them do it. But you're different. You're an alien. You ought to conduct yourself like the daughter of the king. Amen. So there you go. Are aliens real? Yes. It's you and me, because we're not of this world. We're of a different kingdom. We're of a different place, but the aliens are not real the way Hollywood projects it. It's the way God projects it down, that we came from the mind of God, we're going back to the mind of, not to the mind of God, we're going back to God, back into his word to be with him forevermore. Sorry, I'm not speaking on that, but, 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 but he says, does, does it act like a daughter of the king? Are we acting like a daughter or a son of the king? Are you, it's not so much just pertaining to clothes now. It goes deeper into something to say, well, listen, all the women of the world, this is what they do. They get on their platform, whatever it be, and they let all of their opinions known to the world. But you're not of the world. You're not like them. You're different. You need to consider that you're acting as a daughter or a son of the king. What you do and what you say is not reflecting of anti-message tabernacle. It's reflecting of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you are the example of what a Christian is today. Baptists are not an example of what a Christian is. Pentecostals are not an example of what a Christian is. They're the reason that people today look at Christianity and say it's dead. They're the reason people look at it and say, well, there's no way. And I just heard a very prominent speaker talk about religion. And he said, the only real religion is, is Muslims because they actually have a changed life. And I thought, oh, what a shame that he had to say that. Because he had to say that because it's the only thing he could visibly see because the generally accepted Christianity has become just like the world. has become fluid, but that's not who we are. We're sons and daughters of God, and we're separated, and we're different. We ought to act different and talk different. We ought not to be caught up in the ways of the world and the fact that, well, you can just get onto whatever social media. You can just get up on your soapbox. You can get up and tell your daddy straight exactly the way you think it is, and you can tell him because it's accepted today. But that's not the way a daughter of a God should act. He's talking about your action. It doesn't matter if it's accepted in the Laodicean way. 
What matters is what's accepted in God's way. Let me just carry on the example of my wife for a moment because as we talk about this, I'm married to my wife, so she's the only example I've got. But if, if perhaps one of your mothers was to come to me and say, you know, Brother Andrew, I think the children ought to go to bed at a certain time, and I think you should paint your walls orange, and I think you should really wear the blue suit, not the black suit. That's very nice of your mother, but it really doesn't mean anything. Because her opinion is not important to this headship. But it's important to your father. But not to me. It's the same, but if my wife came to me and said, I like the blue suit, you should wear the blue suit. Okay, I'll wear the blue suit. It matters all of a sudden. Because that's the relationship of headship. That even though we say, I can say, no, I'm the, I'm the man. I, I chose the black suit, and I'm going to wear it this way, and this is how it's going to be. She say, no, I really think that you should. I know I'm wearing my black suit tonight. She didn't tell me my blue suit. It's okay. But uh, we, we can get that way, but that's not, that's not the point. Or perhaps if you could come, and my, and, and, and my daughter even, who's, I'm the head of my daughter and my sons as well, but if, if she came to me and says, Daddy, I'd really like a pink bike instead of the green one. I don't want to ride the green one anymore. I want a pink one. It matters to me. I care about that, her opinion and her feelings and her thoughts. You say, well, that's kind of silly. It's not really all that important, Brother Andrew. No, it's important to me because she's my subject. I care about her. But if someone, if one of you sisters were to come to me and say, you know, Brother Andrew, it's not very nice that you make your daughter drive a pink or a green bike. You should get her a pink one. Thank you for your opinion. But it really doesn't matter. That's pretty straight, isn't it? But it's true. Thank you. I appreciate the fact that you care about my daughter, but she's happy with the green one. And she's not, actually. She wants the pink one, so... If she's listening tonight, I'm not going to say anything in case she is. <laughs> but the opinion of a woman should not bear weight outside of her headship. But yet the head of every Christian is Christ. So now if, if that same sister that would perhaps come to me and say, you know, I want your walls orange and it doesn't matter, but all of a sudden that same sister goes to the pastor and begins to say, you preach such and such and such and such. Could you please explain that to me? I see this in the scripture. Now her opinion matters. Because now she's operating under the headship of Christ. And she's coming to her spiritual leader in the pastor and beginning to talk to him in the right way to say, this is, this is now another relationship. I'm, just, I'm, I'm peeling back what I'm going to call tonight layers. Layers of headship. There's certain levels and layers that it goes in, and, and there, there's a right way of doing it. Because it would talk about in Galatians 3, it would say there's, there's neither male nor female in Christ. So we don't look at it and say, well, you're just a sister. You don't know what you're talking about. No, it matters. If a sister comes and say, Brother Andrew, I got a question about this, and I don't understand this, and I really need to, need to know this. Or if she comes and says, well, I see this in the Word, and I don't see this happening. Please, could you help me with this? It matters. Because now we're talking about being in Jesus Christ and under the headship of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, when the topic changes like that and when things change, all of a sudden it comes into another level of headship. Now, 
That's the foundation. You with me so far? Did I lose you, anybody? All right. Genesis chapter 19 and verse 26. I won't have you turn to it. We, we could read the entire chapter, but we know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah and how Abraham pleaded on their behalf and pleaded on their case, but as, they, as, they, as he pleaded for them, the angel went down there and he judged they judged the city to be that there wasn't even but a few righteous. And for Abraham's sake, the scripture records, God allowed Lot and his wife and children to come out, two daughters, to come out of Sodom. It wasn't just for Lot's sake. It was actually, if you go down to the end of chapter 19, it was for Abraham's sake that they allowed them to come out. But in verse 26, even after the angel warned them and said, you must run out, don't look back, just run, go to the city of, of, I think it was Zoar, and and go out to that city, and I'll spare that city for your sake, but you go out and you run there, don't look back to Sodom anymore. They had had a vindicated angel message that came and did a wonder, a sign right in front of them, blinded the eyes of the people, came into the house, told them exactly what was going to happen, told them exactly what to happen, and, and, and told them what to do about it and how to escape judgment, and they ran out there. But here we find Lot's wife had to look back. But Lot's wife, but his wife looked back from behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. Exactly what she was told, I'll say, on every layer of her headship, don't do it. The angel said, don't do it. The, one, the vindicated ministry that she received, don't do it. And, and her husband, which was also her pastor, said, don't do it. And she still went, and when she got out there, there was something pulling at her that she still had to turn around and look. Because the point of it and the point of the headship that she received was for her protection. It wasn't just there to say, listen, we're going out and we're going to make sure that you're a Christian. We're going to make sure that you do the right thing. We're going to make sure you don't transgress any laws. We're going to make sure and we're going to keep you between point A and point B and you're going to go in this direction. If, if it would have been such a, uh, an aggressive suppression of Lot's wife, they probably would have put a bag over her head to make sure she couldn't. But they didn't. They left her with her own free will. To say, don't do it, but you still have the ability to do it. If you read it in the message, Brother Brandon would talk about it in the message, um, how can I overcome? He'd say, Lot's wife did the same thing. He says, you know what? She set out to go with Lot, to follow her husband, her children, her loved ones, but it wasn't in her heart. She set out in the right direction. She set out to go with her husband, to follow her husband, but it wasn't in her heart. She still loved the world. So it's possible that you could make a start and still be the world in you. See, she never overcome. And even though she was well on the road, it finally overthrowed her. What a danger. Even though she started out and she was well on the road, it wasn't just that she just got outside the city and went, nope, can't do it anymore. No, she was far enough on the road that the fire that was falling from heaven was not affecting her. So she was far enough away, but still it overthrew her. It says, and she had to take one big long last look and where there's, that's where they, she got caught. Don't even look back. Don't have no desires. Keep going. Put your mind on Calvary and keep moving towards Christ. He says, she started out as an overcomer. As Brother Brown's word, she started out as an overcomer. My. He says, but she did not overcome. Hallelujah. There's a brother, brother, um, 
just forgot his name. He preaches a message down in, in Louisiana called Finishers. Danny Steeman, it's not about him who starts. It's about the ones that finish. Lot's wife started. She started out overcoming. It seemed like she was going in the right direction, but she didn't finish the race. She had to look back. He says, oh, she left the denomination. She did. She walked out of Sodom with Lot, but she, went to, she wanted to go back and have her hair cut. You know what I mean. See, she had to go back. She just couldn't stand the test. She had to look back again and see what the rest of them was doing. Oh, you know, I had some good friends down there after all. And after all, this might be just a little move. Oh, my I wonder tonight if, if the devil's tried to lie to any of you in that way. Oh, it was just a little twinge at a youth service. It was just a little something over here, over there. It, it went away after a while. No, it's more than that. It's God trying to call you. Where he says, I, I don't, she sees she good. He continues to go on with, with Mrs. Lot's excuses. Where he says, oh, I don't know whether this could be right or not. Or I've only got this man's word for it. Though he's my husband. Though he's my headship. I've only got his word to go on it. Sometimes, I'm going to be honest with you, sisters and even brothers, that's all you've got. You say, but I don't know how this is on. Listen, how do we know there's a rapture? How do we know there's going to be a body change? All we have is our head's word for it. That's it. I don't, I don't, have, I don't have physical evidence that there's a body change. Do you? No, I got healing. That's the closest thing I've got. That's the, down, that's the earnest of the body change, and that's the closest thing I've got, and I've seen miracles performed. That's the closest thing I've got, but it doesn't look at it and say, well, I know, no, but I've got his word that he will change my body if I stay in Christ. Oh, my. But that's all she had. She just had, I got my husband's word. That's all I've got. He says, but yet your pastor is, is your husband, spiritually speaking. Throws that statement in there, and I'm not going to get largely into that statement because Brother Branham is making a point that she didn't submit herself to her headship. And because of that, she went off. Because of that, she went her own way. She didn't listen to the protection that was laid out before her. And because of that, she went in her own direction and ended up a pillar of salt. As Brother Branham says in one place, there's a big difference between a pillar of salt and a pillar of fire. He says, you see, and whether it be right or not, I don't know. He says, maybe his, his revelation wasn't right. He continues on with Mrs. Lot's excuses. Maybe he just didn't quite hear it quite right. Maybe his revelation isn't quite right. I don't really like the way this is going. If you're not perfectly satisfied, you're not, perfect, you're not perfectly know that it's the word of God, then you can't go. You've got to be really sold out. In other words, just listen, if, if you don't perfectly know that it's the word of God, that this headship that I've received is not just a man, but it's God. That Christ is the one that I've received, and he is my head, and I'm willing to accept him and his word, and the word that's being preached to me by my pastor, the word that's being said to me by my father or by my husband one day, the word that's being said to me that way, I need to take that and realize this is for my protection, that God put this in my life for a reason. Now, there is, but there is a God-ordained way for a woman to be subject to her husband. And that's laid out as we read in, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and actually verse 11 and 12. If you still got your Bibles open, it says, 
says, and let a woman learn in silence with all subjection, and I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over a man, but to be in silence. Wow, that's hard. That's also the old English. So I want to just look at this shortly for a couple minutes, but to learn in silence or quietness. Doesn't mean throw away the key. But don't be a show, sisters. Not to be in the church and look what I know and I got something to say and I have to be a show and uh, we don't have to do it in the church nowadays. We can go on social media and do it. I'm just going to say it bluntly. We can go right on social media and do it and we can put all of our thoughts out there and the pastor come and preach a word and then we got something different to say on social media. Lord have mercy. It becomes a show. In other words, it says, to learn in, in quietness with all subjection or to submit herself to another under the ordinance of God. In other words, not to be, it's not a, it's not a submission of subduing. I want to make this aptly clear tonight. It's not a submission of subduing. It's not that, that a man comes into your life and subdues you. No, as we heard on Wednesday night, that is not a good thing. When David comes in and subdued Bathsheba, it was not God's way of doing it. Headship is not something where a man subdues a woman and forces him into submission, but rather this is a submission of willingness, where she willingly submits herself to a man. That's why we have, as I said, courtship. Because you need to know what you're, you're saying yes to. When he says, gets down on one knee, maybe he doesn't get down on one knee, he says, will you marry me? And you find that perfect guy that, oh my goodness, he's just absolutely perfect, but we've only dated for a week and I've got no idea what in the world he's really like. But he's so handsome. <laughs> but that's why you have a period of courtship, to get to know one another. So that way you know when I'm saying, I do, and I'm submitting myself to this man and to his headship, I know what I'm getting. It's not an unknown entity to somebody that all of a sudden I go, oh, I didn't know that he'd be like this. Whose fault is that? It's so quiet in here. I love preaching on courtship and marriage. This is the subject the Lord gave me tonight. I would have rather come down and preach some evangelistic service and preach to you all and had this presence of the Lord just moving, but I trust you're with me. It isn't there to subdue the woman, but rather it's a willingness to submit. It's not, on the, it's not on the man to subdue the woman, it's on the woman to submit to the man. It isn't so that she can just sit in a corner and shut up. That's not right. But that she's under the subjection of her headship to learn in quietness. In other words, it's good for a woman to learn. It's good for sisters to be in the word. It's good for sisters to get to know Christ on their own. Not just be reliant upon, well, my husband, he didn't have, and my dad, he didn't really do devotions with us all. No, sisters, you need to dig into the word. You need to read. You need to pray. You need to learn in quietness. Amen. Now, we as men, here we go, brothers. We can use this as a position of power. 
You can, and it has been. You can get up there and say, well, I'm the head, therefore you have to listen to me. And this is always a scary thing and why I, I try not to tell my children. Sometimes it does come out, I'll be honest with you, but I try not to use this on my children to say, because I said so. Because that's the way it comes across to me. Is Listen, I'm dad, so you just do as I tell you. Well, that doesn't raise children that well at all. Though I will tell you, and I said, to be honest, confess your faults one to another after being asked why for the sixth time. Sometimes that is the only response you can give. <laughs> so if your parents have ever told you that, maybe you look back in yourself for a moment and say, did I ask why a hundred times that day? And finally dad said, listen, because I said so. <laughs> but young men, young men, have a dream of having your own place. You have a dream one day of having a family. You have a dream of having a wife. You have a dream of being out on your own, a place where dad isn't there to tell you to shovel a driveway anymore. But rather, the fact that you need to get in another driveway is there to tell you you got to shovel the driveway. You dream of that as a young man. I did as a young man. You dream of, I'm going to have my own home. I can do whatever I want. It's going to be fantastic. Praise God. This is amazing. And you finally get your own place, and then the first bill comes in. And then the second, a third, and fourth bill, and you're going, Dad, can I move back in with you? $300 a month in room and board didn't seem so bad after all. Once the first few bills come in and the mortgage payments and the this comes in and the that comes in, all of a sudden, my goodness. But I had freedom. Freedom from, from what? <laughs> you see where I'm going with this. Headship is in your life for a reason. Is there to protect you in order to make sure you're ready for what you're wanting to embark upon, young man. Headship, though, must be acceptable to be received. Let me say it this way, sisters. What kind of a guy would you see yourself willingly submitting to? Don't look at me, look at within yourself. Say, what kind of a guy would I want to submit to? Maybe the renegade? The one that's always speeding down the highway? The one that's always spinning his tires and always got something to say back to somebody else? And I'm not saying it's wrong to do that once in a while, that you happen to spin your tires or you happen to speed or you happen to thought. I'm not singling somebody out. But someone that's just constantly laying out a pattern like that doesn't like authority, in other words. Doesn't like to listen you know, to the pastor. The pastor lays something out, and he's, nah, I don't like that. I'm going to do whatever I want. The deacons try and get a hold of him and say, listen, and he just, ah, I don't like The deacons, they always think they're, well, God put them in, their li in your life for a reason, to help you out, to safeguard you, because the deacon's a lot easier to deal with than the policeman that says, give me your license. The deacons don't carry guns on their belts and tasers. Maybe they should. No, I'm kidding. They don't. don't. But, but is that the kind of young man that you're like, yeah, I'm, I, I want that as my headship one day. Those young guys, they're fun. 
They're fun to be around. You want to go race cars? They're fun to be around. They'll race cars with you. You want to go and go have a fun time? They'll have fun with you. But is that the kind of man you look at and go, yeah, I think, you know, he could be the father of my children one day. I think I could, you know, be subject to him. And he's really going to make the best, the best choices on my behalf because, you know, he's really laid out a good... No, he hasn't. Is that the kind of man? you got to ask yourself this question. I'm not trying to put thoughts in your mind. I'm trying to say, you ask yourself this question. Or maybe the kind of man that, 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 that is, that'll be overbearing and overpowering and make you into a doormat. Never has the time of day to ask what you have to say. That kind of a man, you get into a courtship with a young man and you begin to realize, he doesn't really care about me. He cares about himself and satisfying himself and what he wants to do. And you got to ask yourself, is this the kind of man that I want to be married to? Because I'm sorry to say it this way, but once you get married, he's not going to change. And all of a sudden, he's the perfect husband. Sorry, brothers. I know you're all wanting to bury your heads and be like, man, I ain't never going to get married now. <laughs> but no, I, I'm, I'm, I'm wanting you in love. I'm wanting you to make an informed decision, a right decision. When these things begin to approach you and they begin to come upon you, I want you to be able to make that because I could flip it right around for brothers to sisters and I could look at brothers and say, do you really want that sister to, be, to court her and to marry her when she won't listen to her daddy? What makes you think she'll listen to you? Oh, she might be the most beautiful thing, the funnest thing, the best thing you ever come across your doorstep. But if you watch her and she won't listen to her current headship, I'll guarantee you she won't listen to her future headship. She needs an experience with God. And it's the same way the other way around. Brother Branham says it very simply, and he types it to a bunch of cows. He said, if she's got that wild stare in her eye, better not buy her. Oh my. Headship is for your protection. Real headship is not there to push you down and make you small. Christ doesn't do that to you. He's our example. It's also not there to prop you up and put you on a pedestal. Christ doesn't do that either. He doesn't put a minister on a pedestal and say, look at him, he's the man. No, when a man puts himself there, God knocks him down. Because he won't share his glory with another. God doesn't put anyone up on a pedestal to say, this is the best. No, but neither should your headship. Brothers, I'm talking to you. It's a protection from the deceitfulness of Satan to help you walk in the ways of the Lord. That's the why where there's layers of headship. Not just, well, I'm married, therefore, that's it. You know, we sometimes get that idea. Once I get married, it'll just be me and my wife, or me and my husband. Nobody else will matter. Brother Branham says, don't let anyone get in between your marriage. It'll just be us, and everything will be wonderful. That's a part of it. But you still need a godly pastor. You still need a church to go to. You still need to be subject to the word of God. It matters. There's more layers of headship than just... Me, myself, and her, herself. There's more to it than that. See, it's in layers. In 1 Timothy, notice it talks first to the men. If we read it in 1 Timothy, we read the first verse. It says, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, 
Lifting up holy hands. In other words, surrender. That men are subject to God first with, without wrath and doubting. Wow, he throws wrath in there. I would that men everywhere would just surrender to God and don't be angry. Don't be uptight. Don't be so, so full of wrath and just trying to get your own way and upset at everything else. And doubting. Don't be doubting. That doesn't make great headship, brothers. Uncertain of yourself. Doubting yourself. Doubting your own words. Doubting what the pastor's saying. Doubting what the Bible's saying. Doubting what the message is saying. Trying to justify your sin by means of some obscure quote does not make great headship. It's really good at confusing wives. Be strong in the faith. Stay in touch with your headship. That's what it's talking about. Men everywhere, pray everywhere. Lift you up home and stay in touch with your headship so you know how to be ahead to somebody that's subject to you. Now, Thinking Man's Filter, 1965, Brother Brown takes this quote. It's one of my favorite quotes, actually. I have a few favorite quotes, in case you're wondering. But it says, Oh, for the grace of God that he would give us understanding of such great mysteries as Paul spoke further down in Ephesians, speaking of the husband and wife, said, This is a mystery, how that a woman should be in respects to their husbands, even the second place, I believe it is, in the, it's the second place in the entire Bible that reverence was ever spoke of, said, women, see that you reverence your husband, reverence her husband. And we could stop it right there and just absolutely preach it on a very legalistic viewpoint of, sisters, you need to reverence your, your headship. You need to reverence one day you're going to get married. You need to reverence your husband. Right now you've got your father's head, but you need to reverence your father. And you need to make sure that, that you're subject to your husband. All of these things, but you're missing the point. Because Brother Brownham goes on in this quote, and he begins to say this. He says, then a husband ought to live such a life before his wife, that his wife could reverence him. Not even that she's willing to, but that she could reverence him as a son of God. See, that's what's going to make headship acceptable and make a sister be willing to submit herself to you is when you're willing to live a kind of life that she looks at and says, that's a son of God. And if he doesn't live that kind of life, Brother Branham goes on, if he doesn't live that kind of life, well, then of course she wouldn't reverence him because she knows what he's made of. I know, he said, this almost sounds like marriage counseling. Now this is pre-marriage counseling. How y'all doing? Y'all with me? All right. I say, I'm really young, Brother Andrew. Yeah, we're, we're getting to every, every aspect of it here, so stay with me because we're going to cover a lot of ground here quickly now. It says, when it, when, a man, when, when it is a man that is reverent, a man, reverent and clean with his wife before his family, a real servant of God, then the woman, children, and all should respect that servant of God with reverence. So now he goes into, takes it right out of the husband, puts it right into the father. Now we've got all of you, where he says it's not just the husband that he ought to live a life, but if he lives this kind of life, then the wife, the children, ought to all reverence him and respect him, but this is the kind of headship that becomes acceptable. 
There's the kind of headship that is very difficult, and you look at it, and a man can say, why is my children all this? Why is this going on? Why is that going on? But really, I've learned in my own life, I need to turn around and look within myself and say, God, what about me? Is it because I'm not standing where I ought to be standing? Is it because I'm making mistakes? Because I'm not feeding on the right things? Because I'm not doing this? And you begin to find out, it is. Notice, though, who God blamed in the beginning. When we had the, when there was the original fall in the Garden of Eden, and God came down, and he came down, and he said, Adam, Adam, where art thou? And Eden looked at him and said, Adam, what have you done, and, and what, what, what's going on here? Of course, Adam looks at him and says, well, the wife that thou gavest me. And Adam almost turns around and partly blames God, because that you gave me, and blames the woman to say it's, it's her fault. But Adam was the headship. Adam was the one that willfully did it. Eve was deceived. But, but as God comes down and he looks at Adam, he didn't come down and go, oh yeah, you know what, you're right, the woman. No, but he did turn to the woman to get what she did because under Christ, her opinion mattered. Think about it. God didn't look at Adam and say, okay, what did you do, Adam? And Adam said, yeah, the wife. He said, okay, what do you think I should do to your wife? No, because under God, she mattered. And so then he went to her and said, why have you done this? And then he went to the serpent and said, why have you done this? Because all under Christ, there is no bond or free. There is no male or female, but rather that it's all one under Jesus Christ. And he cares about each and every one of us because he is the head of us all. But in the relationship, it was Adam. Because even if you look at it and you could, you could turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, this would be good. Why don't you open your Bibles and turn with me there. I'll slow down for a sec. You've been going slow all night. I know. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 says, Wherefore, as by one man, not one woman, one man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men. It wasn't M death passed upon all men, M-E-N, that's men and women. But by one man, M-A-N, that's masculine, one man. He says, verse 13 says, For until the law, sin was in the world, but, but the sin was not imputed, then when there is no law, nevertheless death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. Now I'm going to ask you this question. Where did Eve come into this? Why doesn't the New Testament mention Eve? Why doesn't it talk about how she was deceived? Why isn't it talking about how she brought death? Why isn't it talking about how she did this? Why? Because God in the end who said, no, the headship is responsible. Right from the beginning. Adam was to blame because he knew better and willingly partook, but God says that by one man, M-A-N, sin and death, sin, one man's sin, then death entered, and death didn't come by Eve being deceived. It came when the headship allowed it. Now, I want to look at a bad example, so let's go to 1 Kings. This is, a, this is a good one to, to contrast. First Kings chapter 21. Find all of our favorite king and queen. Sorry, 
I, this isn't a place to joke. I apologize. Ahab and Jezebel. And we could read all of it from verse 1. who talks about when it came to pass and the things that Naboth, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard. And there was Jezreel hard by, which was in Jezreel, hard by the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. In other words, it was, it was right close to his palace. And Ahab spake unto Naboth, saying, Give me thy vineyard that I, have, that I may have it for a garden of herbs, because it is near unto my house, and I will give thee for it a better vineyard than it, if it seem good to thee, I will give thee the worth of it in money. So here Ahab comes. He says, listen, I've got a desire. I see that this, this is you know, it's good land, but I'd like it for a garden of herbs, and it's right close to my palace, so why don't I buy it off you, or I'll give you a, a new thing or something like that, and you know, we'll, we'll make a business deal here. And, and Naboth said unto Ahab and said, the Lord forbid it that I should give thee the inheritance of my fathers unto thee. And Ahab came into the house heavy and displeased because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken unto him. For he had said, I will not give thee the inheritance of my fathers. And he laid down upon his bed and turned away his face and would not eat bread. Could you imagine, sisters? You just married Prince Charming. And you come in the house one day and he's sitting on the couch. Honey, I made you your favorite food. <laughs> he starts crying. You know, what's wrong? Something must really be wrong, right? Something must really be wrong. I mean, he really, and you go to him and say, what's, what's the matter, sweetheart? I asked my boss for a raise and he said, no. <laughs> you go, okay, I, must be something else. I tried to buy a car that wasn't for sale, and he said, no. How dare he? You start questioning yourself. What did I do? <laughs> what kind of a guy did I marry? I, this, is, this is something else. He's really full of self-doubt. He's unable to make a decision and to see rationality. But Jezebel didn't do that. She had the, the whole, she seen a, an opportunity because she wasn't subject to her headship. And it wasn't because, and as much as she was not a great woman, it wasn't because she was such a terrible woman. It was because he was not a right head. When she all of a sudden said, listen, we could read it down in the scriptures where she says, okay, that's fine, I'll go get it for you. Think about it. The guy didn't sell me the car that's not for sale and I just can't do it. Gotcha, honey. I'm going to make sure he's killed and you can have it. Wow. You say, well, Brother Andrew, that would be murder and we'd go to jail. Yeah, nowadays it's not that hard. We pick up a phone, we start phoning the police. I've seen so-and-so speeding down the road. And we start making false witness until the police take someone's license away and they have to sell their car. Oh, and the sisters go, I can do that? Yeah. All of a sudden, you've murdered somebody's reputation 
by false witnesses so your husband can have his sweet little car. What's going on? It's because the headship wasn't in its place. It wasn't because Jezebel was this horrible woman as much as she was, but rather it was because the headship wasn't there to stand there and say, don't do that. He was busy moping and crying over some sour business deal when he should have been standing up and saying, no, that's not right. We've got to think of something better. Surely there's something better to do. Maybe we ought to pray together. Maybe we should gather together. You know what that is? It's inheritance, and we should pick up the law, pick up the word of God, and begin to look into it and see what can be done for this situation is what he ought to have done. But instead, he got so self-pitied and self-loathed that he didn't even know how to run his own home till his own wife began to take it into her control and said, I'm going to write letters in your name. Brothers, (laughs) he should have gone in prayer, but instead he was crying on the couch. The role was so reversed because the life that Ahab lived, there was nothing there for Jezebel to reverence. There was nothing there for her to look at and say, well, that's a man of God, that's a son of God. There was nothing there at all. Now, that doesn't mean that headship just takes control and is brash and demanding. Neither is that acceptable. Listen, the church in its condition, Brother Branham says this, says today we, we, we how we want our differences, he says, My, let, I tell you, you just let somebody say something to me and I'll go over to him, boy, and I'll take him apart. He says, listen, he says, we, we, we do that as our, our differences. He says, someone come in and they say something to me, I'll just, I'll just let them have it. He says, and I'll tell that old hypocrite when I see her, to just wait till I see her, bless God, hallelujah, huh? He says, the dove just takes flight and goes on away. When we get that kind of brash attitude of, oh, I'm just going to be that kind of man that when somebody crosses me the wrong way, if it's my wife, if it's whoever, I'm just going to tell them straight. He says, that's not the Holy Spirit. He says, just mark that down in your book. It'll Never do it. The Holy Spirit will never behave itself that way. The Holy Spirit just won't even stay around where there's that kind of spirit. It's got to be a lamb spirit, a gentle spirit. It just won't stay with it. That's all there is to it. It ain't if it ain't gentle or meek. Another place of washing Jesus' feet in 1957, he says, God deserves the first place. Jesus ought to have the first place in every life. And I want, I want to speak for a few minutes here just really on Christ, your headship. But God deserves the first place. Jesus ought to have the first place in every life. That, but we give him about the fourth place. He says he deserves the first place. He says, well, you say, I pray once a day. That's all right. He receives it. If you want to give him the fourth place, that's all right. He'll take it. You only want to, you only went to church once this year. There's nobody here that can say that. You've been to church more than that. He says, maybe, but, and you know, you wore your new hat and everything. He says, but he never commended you for it. He says, that's what makes him God to me. If you want to give him fourth place or fifth place, he'll take it. 
He'll take whatever you give him, but he ought to have the first place. He ought to have the best we can give. He ought to have our first, our best, our all that's deserving of it. See, that's our example of headship is a gentleman. Our head is a gentleman that he'll take whatever you give him. If you give him first place, he'll take first place and bless the Lord. You'll have a wonderful life. But if you only want to give him fourth place and you've got so many other things in the way, he'll take fourth place. He's a gentleman. Whatever you'll give him, that's what he'll take. And that's our example. But he says, you see, he lived the kind of life that that, that produced it. Sorry. Can't read my own writing, even though it's tight because it doesn't make sense. He lived the kind of life and produces in you in you the kind of life that can be reverenced. He wants to produce in you a holy life. He wants to produce in you something that does not abuse power. That you you have to be willing to receive and accept him as your headship and listen to him. See, because he's willing to take fourth place. In other words, you have to be willing to give him first place. You have to be willing to submit to Christ as your head. Because if you don't, he'll take what you give him. He's a gentleman. In the message of spoken word, Brother Branham says, the word of promise in himself, like it was in Mary. I don't really want to jump ahead this much, but let's back up a little bit. up to us to receive him as our head. He wants to give you, I would say, eternal life, give you the Holy Spirit more than you want it. But it's up to us to receive it. But headship, and, and, and Christ is our example, that headship needs to be a life of example. Headship is not a power to abuse. It's a life of example. Brothers, I want to say, could you imagine living in a home where you're scared of dad? Think about that for a minute. I can. I, I was in that place at one time. Yeah, let me tell you a little story. I grew up that way. If my dad was ever intimidating to any of you, he was to me too. And he was my dad. And I loved him. You say, well, that's terrible. He must have been a terrible dad. No, not at all. But he was a preacher. He was big. He preached hard. He studied the word. And you were kind of scared. Like, man, if, if I admit my faults and my sins to him, he's going to give me a thousand quotes and a hundred scriptures to tell me where I, I'm wrong. When I'm going to be honest with you, I know I am wrong. But that's the way it can seem sometimes. 
And, and I'm, I'm telling you this in a certain way because it feels like, man, I, I, just, I just can't. I just got to keep it in myself and I just got to go on. But there came a day one day that I, I just I couldn't hold it together. And where I was in my own bedroom, I was just weeping and there was a knock at the door and my dad was there and he's, you know, are you okay? So finally I said, okay, listen, come on in. And I, I just began to talk to him and just pour out my heart and just say, this is, this is where I'm at and this is what's going on and I, I, I need prayer, I need something, I don't know. And I kind of thought, oh boy, I mean, I don't know what he's going to do. Am I going to get a lecture? Am I going to get, you know, a quote poured at me? Am I going to get, you know, scriptures put at me? This is how it is being a, being a man growing up. And I just, it, there was so many things going on in my mind. And he just sat down beside me. He just put his arm around me and he said, I was there once too. He said, I know what it's like to be a young man. And it just took all those preconceived ideas I had. And poured them all out. He said, it's okay. You know, you're doing those things because you're going through a time of life and you're having this kind of feeling and you're having that going on. That's, that's all right. That's understandable. And I'm like, man, I know quotes that condemn me. You're not going to give me anything? <laughs> and he, no, no, that's all right. Let's, let's pray together. And we just had a wonderful time of prayer together and it was, uh, thank you, Lord. I needed that. It was amazing. But sometimes that's how we approach God. The Lord Jesus Christ, our headship. Where we've done something, we're so convicted in ourselves and we're so even condemning within ourselves. We're like, oh man, I just, I just can't, you know. So I'll just, what I'll do is before bed, I'm just going to, you know, just quickly as I'm falling asleep, say, Lord, forgive me, amen. Because I just, I, I don't want to feel, I don't want to get in his presence too much because it's really going to hurt me and I'm really going to, but he's not that kind of head. He's a gentleman. That he's saying, listen, come unto me, all you that are laboring and are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. He's not there to condemn us, but rather that he could be that kind of a headship to that way when you lay on his bosom and you just begin to pour out your heart to him, there comes a peace and a comfort and a joy that comes from it because he begins to say, that's what I've been longing for this whole time, that you would trust me enough to begin to pour out yourself to me and begin to tell me your innermost feelings and begin to tell me what's going on and begin to re repent of all the things that's, that's happening. And I said, repentance isn't getting down on your knees and oh God, woe is me, I failed you a hundred times today and I'm just so wrong. But rather, it's, it's, a, it's a making of love between you and God that you begin to get on your knees and say, Lord, I love you so much. I'm sorry that I'm not perfect. I'm sorry that I've done this wrong and I've done that wrong, but I, I hope you can find it to forgive me. And I just, and you begin to call out to him in, in a way of love, not in a way of, oh, I'm nobody and you're everything as much as that's true. But he wants to lift you up. He wants to encourage you. He wants to bring you. That's our example of real headship. That's what God wants to do with each and every individual that's here tonight, and that's his child, that's his sheep. He desires to bring you, to put you up on his shoulders when you're hurt, when you get lost, bring you back home to the sheepfold. He desires to bring you in that kind of place. That's why he's got layers of headship. That's why he's got a pastor that'll come up here and preach and ministers that'll minister. It's not to condemn. If it is, then it's an abuse of a headship but rather it's something that's here to encourage, to bring you, to protect you, to set borders and boundaries, to make sure that you have an ability to walk in the laws of God and the ways of the, of the kingdom. 
That's why he gives sisters and brothers, he gives you fathers to raise you in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It's a layer of headship in order to help you, to teach you, to train you. And we thank God. I thank God for our godly father. I thank God that for what he's done for me, for the fact that he stood true on the word. I thank God that I even had a little bit, enough reverence of him that I was even fearful of him to the point where I didn't want to go to him in that way. But when I did, he poured out his heart to me and I poured mine out to him and it was a wonderful time and we thank God for it. I thank God for a godly pastor and father like that. And sisters, one day I believe that you'll be able to have a head as a husband that can portray the same thing that Christ is wanting to portray to you, that it'd be a further extension of what you already have. Is that all right tonight? Amen. I'm just winding down quickly because I said I didn't want to be long, and I'm long, long-winded. Let's stand to our feet. Hallelujah. True headship treats his subjects like Uriah treated Bathsheba. True headship will treat his subjects like a little ewe lamb, innocent, not much going on, just innocent, looking, needing a shepherd, needing someone to care for them. A real head will take that and care for it. Nurture it, nourish it. But Bradham says this, he says, I understand, he says, talk to your wife. He says, in one nature is to you and another nature to her. Talk it over with her. I'll say it this way to young people. Talk it over with your dad, your mom. They got a nature going this way and you got a nature going that way and it seems like you're, you're heading in different directions. Sit down and talk with them. You might find out like I did, they're not there to condemn you. They want to sit down with you and begin to talk and say, okay, now I know what, what's going on and where you're at in life and we can, we can bring this back together again. Sit down and talk it out. He says, you try and do the same thing, sister. He says, in the same, understand one and be a real Christian gentleman and real Christian ladies, brothers and sisters with one another. Always remember you're God's children. You're from a royal family. You're a royal blood. There's no better blood in the world than yours. Hallelujah. There's no better genetics than yours. God called you the way you are. He says, you're a royal blood. There's no better blood. He says, the royal blood shows itself. That's what it is. It's royal. All it believes says, Amen. He says, yes, sir. See, he says, show, show what you are. Show what you are. I'm a son of the king. I'm a son of the king. My wife or my daughter is a daughter of the king. He says, and how would I treat a king's daughter? How would she treat a king's son? See what I mean? Be real genuine. Your mother, your father, their son and daughter of the king. Your son and daughter of the king. How ought you to treat one another? with love and care. It's deeper than just, well, I'm, I'm a son and I'm a daughter, so I just need to respect them, as, as the Bible says, to honor your father and mother. You know how you honor your father and mother? Serve God. It's the best honor you can give your parents, to serve 
God with all your heart. Amen. What a harmony. Amen. Why don't we just, we're standing, let's sing that song. Um, Shout to the Lord, my Jesus, my Savior. Lord, there's none like you. My Jesus, my Savior, Lord, there is none. All of my days, oh, I want to praise the wonders of My comfort, Lord, my shelter, tower of refuge and strength. Oh, let every breath, all that I am, let it never cease to worship. 